Okay, so today what I'm going to do is, um, instead of doing a teaching point from the Statement of Faith, I, I've got the last of the Beatitudes divided into two. Uh, really, um, the, the, the last one here on this, this uh, hanging is an expansion of, of the last one. But, um, we're going to have two parts. So the first part this morning is going to be um, just a verse-by-verse exposition of the passage. Uh, looking at um, what persecution actually is. And then uh, the second service, um, I'm going to expand on, okay, he says blessed, or we're blessed if we're persecuted. So how is it that we're blessed? Uh, And before I do that, I'll actually talk about some misunderstandings concerning uh, persecution and then how we are blessed um, if we are persecuted. So the first thing I want to see, actually I'm, I'm divided up in three points here actually, I just said this, but there's a right understanding of persecution and suffering. That's this, this morning's message. And then the next one is five misunderstandings concerning persecution and suffering and seven blessings of perse- persecution and suffering. All right, so persecution would be kind of the act and the suffering is the result of that. Um, and so that's how the message is going to be divided up. So let's look at the passage Remind ourselves of the Beatitudes, and then we'll look at this last Beatitude. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? So there is, uh, we call it an an inclusio, or uh, bookends. All right? So the first of the Beatitudes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right? And the one that we have today is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? So we know that it's, it's a package there. The fancy word again is inclusio. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there we see the other bookend there. And then we see the expansion of verse 10 here in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So as we look at this this section, this this last uh, part of the Beatitudes... Um, the first thing I want us to have is a right understanding of persecution and suffering. So I've got it divided up into five different points. Okay, And point number one is that persecution and suffering are to be expected. All right? The way we understand the scriptures, the way Jesus taught his followers, is that they should expect to be persecuted. So every Sunday at the end of the service, uh, we go through uh, a... Um, a website. We pray for people through something called Open Doors, right? And Open Doors tells us about all of the nations around the world where persecution is the greatest. I don't know how washed out it is up here, but it's very washed out back there. You can see the red and the orange, okay? So, so those are the nations where the persecution is the most extreme uh, for Christians and for churches, and most of them there really fall in the, in the 1040 window, which is the other way that we pray 
uh, for people at the end of our second service as we go through nations in the 1040 window. So as you look at open doors and you consider persecution, here's some really quick statistics that validate the fact that persecution is happening around the world. Uh, the kind of persecution that, that we fear but don't necessarily experience now. Right? Last year, these are the statistics from 2022, 5,621 Christians were killed for their faith. Now again, I don't know how they define Christian necessarily. I don't remember what the working definition is of that. Okay, I'm just trusting the statistics they're giving here. 5,259 Christians were abducted last year. 2,100 or 2,110 churches burned to the ground last year. It's so interesting. This morning, right as I was trying to upload my presentation into the software, which kept crashing this morning again and again, <laughs> um, I got one of these uh, notifications that another church was burned in India uh, yesterday, burned to the ground. 360 million, that's the number of Christians who suffer high levels of persecution. They live in those countries that are red and bright orange. So persecution of Christians is real around the world. I'm going to talk about, in a minute, about the type of persecution that we may experience here in the United States, because Jesus really broadens our understanding of persecution, because I think most of the times, and I'll, I'll say this later on, we think of persecution, we think of it like being drawn and quartered, you know, being burned at the stake. Okay. But Jesus broadens persecution out to many other different forms. So the first point is that, that persecution and suffering are to be expected. And Jesus tells us that in John chapter 15. Um, let's see, I'm missing, I am missing some slides here. I have to love that. Give me one second here. Just one page out of order. I'll throw you for a loop, guys. Here we go. John Stott, in his commentary, um, talks about persecution. He says, The condition of being despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, is as much a normal mark of Christian discipleship as being pure in the heart or merciful. Every Christian is to be a peacemaker, and every Christian is to expect opposition. Those who hunger for righteousness will suffer for the righteousness they crave. Right. So as you look at the Beatitudes, there's this inward transformation that works its way out into the world from the believer, Okay, that we would show mercy, that we would be peacemakers, and then how does the world respond to us as we are transformed by Christ, as these beatitudes are manifest in our life, that we will suffer because of those. Right? And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, and we'll look at this later, why aren't we persecuted? Why aren't we suffering? Are there reasons for that? Jesus says clearly, he says in John 15, 20, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will persecute you also. It's just a fact, right? So in Jesus, the night before he's going to be crucified, he's talking to his disciples, and then he's praying for them, he's praying for us. And he says, look, just like they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so really you can look at this concept through the lens of a syllogism. Okay, This is kind of a logical way of looking at things. I and my followers are one, Jesus says at the end of John. The world hates and persecutes me. The world will hate and persecute you. So to that end, Peter, who really is reminding us of many things in the Sermon on the Mount, says, 
Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Remember, Jesus said, we're going to be persecuted. Don't be surprised by persecution. In fact, he's going to tell us, consider yourself blessed. There in verse 13, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So persecution is to be expected, and along with persecution is suffering. Now, according to Jesus, in this passage, persecution happens for two different reasons. Because of righteousness and because of me. Because of righteousness and because of me. Now, as the world persecutes Christians, this same world that loves the idea of Jesus, right? When you, when you talk about Jesus as the world understands Jesus, they like the Jesus that they've created. Okay, this guy who's he's all love, he has these wise sayings. He, 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 he includes everybody into his tent. That's what the world says about Jesus. So the world loves the idea of Jesus, but they hate the Jesus presented in the Bible. The world loves the idea of good, but hates and persecutes the good or righteousness presented in the Bible. So if the world hates the good or righteousness is presented in the Bible, it will hate and persecute those who live according to the Bible. And so Jesus here says that persecution occurs for two reasons, because of righteousness and because of me. Let's look at the text. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted, what? Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, what? Because of me. So because of righteousness and because of Jesus Christ. So the world is repelled by biblical righteousness and those who would live out biblical righteousness. They're not just repelled by it, they reject it, and they lash out against those who would live according to a biblical standard. Because the natural mind is hostile to the things of God. Right? So, so if you have Christ in you, you're united with Christ, you're one with Christ, you've been declared righteous, you're trying to live a righteous life, you're trying to live a spirit-led life, okay, with a mind that's not hostile towards God, the natural man cannot understand the things of God. They can't understand the things uh, of his word that are spiritually praised, okay? And so they reject that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has uh, the best work on the Sermon on the Mount, says this, the natural mind, the mind of the world, as Paul says, is an enmity against God. Though he talks about God, he really hates God. And when the Son of God came on earth, he hated and crucified him. And that is the attitude of the world towards him now. It can't stand the fact that the righteousness of God and those who would live out that righteousness condemns their actions. D.A. Carson expands it. He says this, Genuine righteousness condemns people by implication. Small wonder that people often lash out in retaliation. Christ's disciples, by their righteous living, thus divide men. Men are either repelled or drawn to our precious Savior. So you can begin to see, as you ask yourself this question, 
Am I persecuted for a righteous life? Maybe we're not being persecuted because we aren't living any differently than the world around us. Right? Remember I said John Stott says that the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, is, it is a manifesto of nonconformity. You're not conforming to the world. You're being transformed by the Word of God. You are a nonconformist. And as we said, we're, we're a separatist, okay? And, and so the world rejects that, is repelled by that. D.A. Carson again says this, the final beatitude becomes one of the most searching of them all and binds up the rest. For if the disciple of Jesus never experiences any persecution at all, it may fairly be asked where righteousness is being displayed in their life. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves this morning. I say this all the time. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or they say, oh, they're just like anybody else. I don't see anything different about them. Nobody ever speaks evil of them. And Jesus says, woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Right? We want people to speak well of us. That feeds our ego. That feeds our pride. But in your living and in your words is the righteousness is being displayed such that makes you a nonconformist, causes you to stand out against the darkness of the world in a way that you would be persecuted. So, is righteousness being displayed in your life? That's the question on the table now. Is righteousness being displayed in your life? Now again, as I go through this, I'm not saying that we need to be on the hunt for persecution. Like, wear it as a badge of honor. I got persecuted ten times this week. I'll talk about that in a second. Sam Storm says this. He says, if you wish to avoid persecution in the world, here is what you must do. Mimic the world's standards. Never criticize its values. Keep quiet about the gospel. Laugh at its sordid humor. Smile and keep silent when God's name is mocked and reviled. And be ashamed of Jesus Christ. That's how you can avoid persecution. Most of us do it pretty well, not even trying. If we're avoiding persecution, are we ashamed of Christ? So, is righteousness being displayed in your life? So as we think about the issue of persecution, again, what comes to mind when you think about persecution? What comes to mind? Again, most of us think about you know, being flogged, being burnt at the stake. Right? You read Hebrews chapter 11, at the end of Hebrews 11, and you read about what happened to Christians, or, or those men and women of faith, I should say, throughout the ages. We think of this. This is what comes to mind. And again, I said earlier that Jesus broadens persecution to include insults and verbal attacks. Look at the text again. Again, the, the overarching concept in view is persecution, but he broadens it, he expands it. Realize that this is an expansion. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. He says, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, right? So, so the words of other people are a form of, of persecution, right? And this is what we tend to face here in the United States. 
I don't know if, you know, when we go through open doors on a weekly basis and you read about what's going on in other countries, how many of you go like, man, I'm glad I don't live there? I know I do. Okay, I'll fess up. But where we live now in the 21st century, in the way our culture is rapidly changing, we live in an anti-Christian culture. Right, so if we're in the workplace, right, and in you know, a workplace, it just happens. We're moving into the season of the primaries, right, and people start talking politics, you know, or something happens in the news cycle, and, you know, they're discussing it in the workplace, and sometimes you have to sit on your hands, you, you know, I, 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 I want to say something, but I better not say something, but sometimes you get asked a question, right? Like, what do you think about this? You're being quiet, right? And if you're a pastor, people kind of like already know what you think, but sometimes they want to know, right? And you give your response, right? I gave this lady the, at least the eye roller, right? You, you, you say, this, this is what I believe about the situation. It's like, really? Right, the types of things that we get insulted about, people speak evil about us, are things that are, you know, if we give our opinion on it, it's in direct, you know, um, opposition to the world. Right, these are the hot issues. This is not, obviously not an all-inclusive list. Abortion, LGBTQIA2S+. I, I don't know if that's the latest iteration. I don't know if it's changed since. And that's the whole thing, right? It's fluid. Whatever. The big one now is diversity, inclusion, and equity. Right? You don't want that person, the person from that department knocking on your door. The whole critical race theory, wokeness. Do you really believe the Bible is authoritative? And then also the other one is the role of the patriarchy, right? All the bad men throughout the ages. So Christians are insulted, lied about. People misrepresent us regularly in the media and the news, right? And I believe this falls under the type of persecution that Jesus is referring to. And helpfully, D.A. Carson says this. He says, a Christian in the West who practices righteousness may be ridiculed by his family, ostracized by his relatives, right? We've seen this in our, in our own fellowship. Not long ago, we baptized a young man that was kicked out of his own house because he had trusted Christ and was trying to communicate the gospel to his, his brothers. Literally, he was kicked out of the house. He was ostracized. So that happens. But even a Christian who comes from a secure and understanding home will face black somewhere. Perhaps at work, he will discover that some of his colleagues are saying to him, well, you know, you know, they roll their eyes. He's a Christian. He carries it a bit too far. He won't even cheat on his income tax. Believe it or not, I used to get a hard time at work because back in the day, right, I'd walk into work and you had to walk up to a notebook and you had to write your name and you had to write what time you punched in or what time you came in and sign off on it, right? Why? Because people lie all the time, right? And they hated me because I walked in, I looked at the notebook, I looked at my watch, I signed my name, and I put the time there. And the word on the street was, I found out, was you got to get there before Jay, because he's the timestamp. Well, you know, he's a Christian. He carries that a bit too far. He won't even cheat on his income tax. The other day, when I offered him a slip 
uh, offered to slip him a company binder that I knew he needed for his private papers at home. He turned it down. When I pressed him, he said, taking it would be stealing. And have you ever, ever seen his face cloud over when I tell one of my jokes? What a prig. Right, he's Canadian. I think the word prig. Prig is like a prude, you know, somebody who, you know, it's you know, like they um, kind of look down their nose a little bit at people who don't hold those same moral standards. Okay, so that you know, Dave Carson is kind of tongue in cheek there, but you understand the type of insults, you know, maligning of character that we face as Christians, right? And it's getting worse and worse uh, in our in our culture now. Again, you shouldn't be looking out for persecution. If you're persecuted because you just have an abrasive attitude towards others when you're talking about religion, about Jesus, right? Peter talks about, you know, um, don't suffer for doing wrong, okay? If you're being persecuted for for being an idiot and, and doing wrong, that's not what Jesus is talking about. If you condemningly rant against immorality, our job isn't to judge the world, okay? That's not our job, right? We're supposed to judge each other in the church, okay? But our job isn't to judge the world, not me from the pulpit or you on your social media posts, okay? So if you get persecuted on social media because you log into Hamtramck Square and start, anybody use Hamtramck Square, I'm not talking to you specifically, but if you log in and start ranting on Hamtramck Square, well, you get what you deserve, okay? Or if pastors preach politics and not Christ. You know, for all those churches that stand up in the pulpit and start preaching politics and they get persecuted, you're getting what you deserve. All right, so this is not persecuting persecution that's blessed. That's not persecution that's blessed. So, a few questions here. Do you ever suffer persecution? One, are you ever persecuted because others notice you are different by your righteousness? I'm not talking about self-righteousness, okay? I'm talking about you're trying, you're, you, you are walking by faith and not by sight, you're in the Word, you're praying for the Holy Spirit to help you to live a righteous life, and that works its way out in the world around you, and people notice that. Are you ever persecuted because you take a stand for biblical values in the cultural conversation? I think that's the kind of persecution that's blessed. Not if you're going after people. If you're just saying, this is what the Bible says, and this is what I believe. Are you ever persecuted because you clearly and accurately communicate the gospel to others? Right? That's kind of the big fear that we have about sharing the gospel with people. How are they going to respond? What are they going to say about me? What's our relationship going to be like after I communicate the gospel with them? I was drawn to this story a few years ago. Kelvin Cochran, he was the, uh, uh, he was, he's the former Atlanta fire chief. And this guy, went, he, he is an illustration of the persecution that Jesus refers to here in this passage in the Beatitudes. I'm just going to read from this article and excerpt. Former Atlanta fire chief Kevin, Kelvin Cochran, who was fired from his job last year after the city took offense to a book he wrote on his Christian faith promoting biblical marriage. He shared his testimony before a House committee speaking about the need for a measure to protect religious freedom for those who believe in traditional marriage. He says this about himself. He says, After being born and raised in poverty, I rose to become the first African-American fire chief in the city of Shreveport, Louisiana. And ultimately, I held the highest 
fire office in the nation. Cochran said at a hearing by the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee on the First Amendment Defense Act, oh my word, I do this. Despite these achievements, government officials used the very religious convictions that fueled my professional success to bring an end to my career in public service, right? He was living out his faith. He had a good work ethic based on scriptural principles. He was treating other people according to the dictates of the Bible. He was loving them. And God granted him favor, and he rose through the ranks. And now the very faith that got him to where he is was being persecuted. That's the point. He says, there is an ever-increasing attack on religious freedom and expressive freedom. It's the biggest threat, he says. The city and mayor of Atlanta terminated Cochran's employment last year because of his Christian faith and beliefs. Mayor Kasim Reed first suspended Cochran for 30 days and announced that he would have to complete a sensitivity training, right? I love seeing that now. So now, whenever I want to re-up my license as a physical therapist, I have to do an in-service. It's a sensitivity training, right? You guys work in the, you know, you're in, out in the world working. Diversion, diversity, inclusion, and equity, you need to be sensitive to it, right? We all have to be, you know, get our minds up to speed. He says, let me reread this. Cochran, for 30 days, he announced he would have to... Uh, complete a sensitivity training after activists who don't agree with the, the fire chief's Christian views on sex complained about the men's devotional book Cochran had written on his personal time. So he writes this book on his personal time. His personal time, he publishes it for his church, and he loses his job at work. I think that's the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about. So, as we've gone through this passage, and we're coming to an end here, persecution and suffering are to be expected. It's blessed for two reasons. Okay, for the sake of righteousness and because of, of him. Jesus broadens persecution and suffering to include insults and verbal attacks. And Jesus tells us we are in good company when we are persecuted and suffer for righteousness. He says, we're, you're in good company. You're in that Hebrews chapter 11 company. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right, and Jesus alludes to this in other places in Matthew and Luke. He, later on in Matthew and Luke, he talks about prophets who were persecuted by the Jews. Hebrews chapter 11, the end of Hebrews, that Sam has gone through already. Those who were persecuted, those who died for their faith. And so if you're persecuted, you're in good company. You're in godly company, right? Because Paul tells Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. It's to be expected. And lastly, Jesus motivates us to suffer well when persecuted because we will have a greater reward. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Right. So the fact that it's great, there's a superlative there. There's a reward and there's a, a great reward. And Jesus talks about heavenly reward as being a motivation. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? In Matthew chapter 6, store up treasures in heaven. Look forward to heaven. Have the heavenly mindset. Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler. You want your treasure to be in heaven, not here on this earth. So Jesus says, our reward is great. Peter says this as well. Again, Peter, 
his, his mind is, as he writes, his mind is hearkening back to Jesus' teachings, Sermon on the Mount. He says again, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that what? You may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, right? On that day of his return, when righteousness rules, when the enemies of God are destroyed, you will receive your reward for living a righteous life and being persecuted for it. For declaring the name of Christ unashamedly and being persecuted for it. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. What does that mean? In a special way, when you're persecuted for the cause of Christ, God's Spirit is resting on you, right? You're indwelled by the Spirit, but we're told something special is going on there. I think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, right as they're getting ready to cast stones in him, he's filled with the Spirit, and he looks towards heaven, he sees the glory of Christ. And again, Paul, 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles, these persecutions, these afflictions, these sufferings are achieving for us, what? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a mindset to have, right? Again, we're not looking for persecution. How can I be persecuted today? We're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We are merciful people. Right? We're peacemakers. And when God sees fit to bring persecution into our lives, remember, you are blessed. You are blessed. And again, for us here, you're not some kind of second-rate Christian, second-rate blessing, because you're not living in one of those countries in the 1040 window. I remember Jesus expands that persecution. Friends, we are persecuted on a regular basis as followers of Jesus Christ in our country at this time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've had in your word this morning. Thank you for this beatitude that promises blessing when we're persecuted. Lord, we need to hear that. Uh, it emboldens us uh, to be faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. It emboldens us to do the right thing, to live righteously in a dark world, knowing that you're watching, that there is a great reward for us when we're persecuted because we seek to live faithfully uh, for the cause of Christ. Lord, please help us as a church to keep that in mind. Uh, Lord, please grow us as a church in this respect. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would stand.